Welcome to the second episode of The Celluloid for the week of July 26, 2020. Today I am joined by Zoe Belloc. Zoe started her artistic practices while growing up in Edinburgh, Scotland, then pursued an MFA at Columbia University. She is an artist, filmmaker, and her projects often involved a range of media, films, drawings, and archival documents organized around a theme. I was lucky enough to catch one of her guest lecture talks back in 2017 for a discussion about her film, Exile. Currently, Zoe is completing a feature film, The Tramp's New World. It is the third film in a trilogy about a movie proposed but never realized by radical artists. Now on with the episode. <laughs> um, well, welcome to the, the second episode of this curation series I've started. I thought it'd be really fun to bring together... Um, filmmakers, artists, or more so across the media arts. Um, so sorry on the delay of all this. It's been such a hectic week with like colleges just sending out information. Like they just can't make up their minds, it seems like. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. That is terrible. Yeah. I'm one answer, put it all online. I am so happy I am not teaching in person. Oh, so you, you do teach? Oh, yes. How do you think I make a living? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I like my art is just my hobby. I mean, I, I have a regular day job. It's called teaching. Where do you teach? I, I don't remember. Uh, I teach at Queen's College. It's part of CUNY. Okay. What are, what are you teaching out of there? Like, are you teaching film theory or? Um... Uh, I teach mostly, I teach hands-on filmmaking. Okay. Um, so I teach a class and like, we don't have a lot of production at Queens College, but I teach like beginning filmmaking. I teach cinematography. I teach a class in sound. And I teach something called drawing and experimental media in the art department. So I kind of teach a whole range of things, but they're all pretty much hands-on. Yeah, that's really great. That's what I really like about your work. It seems like you're kind of like like intermingling a lot of um, like visual arts, but also um, like analog filmmaking at the same time. Like it feels very um, uh, additional or like you're kind of keeping like avant-garde cinema alive today but also like I really like your um you're able to infuse kind of like history in uh like early cinema and uh, mm -hmm. yeah so like do you want to talk about that like how you're able to kind of bring two worlds together and um <laughs> in a <way>. okay um <laughs> well I guess I started off with feet in in, in two worlds. I mean, as a, like when I was your age, um, I 
what can I say? I quit high school when I was 16. Oh, wow. I just like totally had enough. I was bored, stupid. I hated it. I mean, I, I went to a very old fashioned girl school. I was just like, get me out of here. So I somehow <laughs> persuaded my parents to let me drop out of school if I went to community college. So from age 16 to 17, I basically went to community college and kind of self-educated. And I'm a great believer in like teaching yourself. So in the day, I was mostly in the art room um, doing art and painting and drawing uh, at community college. And at night, I took a class in cinema. Like it was a kind of like um, film viewing, like um, that was kind of a further education program for adults that I found out about. So we'd see like art films every week. And I was like passionate about films and kind of really got into art cinema and Hollywood cinema. I would spend every night, like I was living at home, but I would go to the movies all the time, just by myself. So, and I, I really loved film, but I, I never met anybody who made films. And the like university and art school in the city in which I lived, I grew up in Scotland in Edinburgh, they didn't have filmmaking. It wasn't something you could study. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. filmmaking as something that you study is relatively recent. Um, so there was nothing like that. So I ended up going to art school and uh, studying painting and art history and all that kind of stuff. But I'm really interested in storytelling. Like, I, I love stories. And um, in those days, and it, it's still true today, art is not considered a storytelling medium. Film is a storytelling medium. So I, uh, art is supposed to be, you know, especially like in the late 70s and, the, you know, it was kind of ab abstraction and... Uh, yeah, um, very interpretive. Yeah, the idea that, um, well, storytelling in art was very old-fashioned. It was like, that was kind of Victorian, you know. Um, so I kind of decided I really wanted to be a filmmaker and uh, kind of gave up art and went came to America and came to graduate school to study film here in New York. And... Uh, I really just wanted to be, come to New York, actually, to be quite honest. I just, like, I I was excited about it. I was into the music scene, you know. I It seemed really exciting. And so I, I, I applied to one graduate school and I got in, which is kind of crazy. And I was pretty different to the other students because I... I was interested in art cinema. And most of my classmates we're really planning to go to Hollywood and become screenwriters and TV writers and stuff like that. So I was a real oddball. I mean, there was a couple of other people from Eastern Europe who were students. In those days, we had a number of teachers from Eastern Europe. Um, and we were much more like art, art film people. Um, not experimental as in like the American avant-garde, but more interested in like Godard and art cinema and stuff like that. And... Uh, rather than sort of commercial Hollywood film. Um, but, you know, but I was trained as a very much a narrative 
that kind of storytelling filmmaker. And I had a strange time at, at school. I was, on the one hand, I was actually very interested in theory and ideas. And I was like taking classes in French comparative literature. And at the same time, I was taking cinematography and learning all the really practical things. Because I did really kind of realize one smart thing was that I was never going to be a, like a big budget filmmaker. And so I better learn how to like make films myself, like learn yeah. cinematography yeah. and learn sound and learn editing, that I was always going to need those practical skills as well. And just sort of coming from an art background, one's used to making things oneself. That's what an artist does. I mean, I know some artists hire people to paint their pictures for them, but mostly artists paint their own pictures. Um, so that, you know, I've always kind of had feet in these different worlds. But in some ways, and then I sort of gave up being thinking of myself as an artist and thought I was a filmmaker, but really didn't know what kind of a filmmaker. Again, it took me a long time. Like, I'm not one of these, like, young genius people. I always envy people who at age 22 know exactly what they're going to do, you know. In part because there wasn't an easily trodden path for what I wanted to do. I mean, I didn't want to, as I say, I realized I wasn't going to make, you know, a coming-of-age comedy in Hollywood. Um... But I'm really not like what most people in this country would call an experimental filmmaker because I do, I am interested in stories mm -hmm. and narrative and actors and scripts, just not in a conventional Sundance kind of way. And so there really isn't any easy, you know, line of a thing. <laughs> I still feel like a totally <laughs> outsider. Um, but I, I maybe I just don't care so much, but it's it's a real problem. Um, and at the same time, I guess in the last 10, 12 years, I've gotten much, 15 years, I've gotten much more also thinking of myself as an artist. I mean, the whole idea of artists and installation and stuff like that really started to happen a lot more. And there was more opportunity for that. So that allowed me to get back to actually making pictures and I also do books um, and I just find them all different forms of expressing ideas and telling stories. I, they're, they're not so different to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I can get behind that for sure. Like my, I finished, well, I say in quotes, I finished my first year <laughs> in film school. Um, and it was kind of interesting just to see um, all these people coming in from different backgrounds and even, I don't know, like a generation like today, like everyone is still like unsure, like what path or um, like you were saying, like not everyone wants to do the whole like big budget Hollywood mm. movie. And um, like some people kind of fall into like a cookie cutter mold of uh, what story to tell and their thesis statements of like kind of like cliche like family stories sometimes but then once in a while there's like a few people who are telling like stories like you were saying in like 
different unconventional ways or I don't know like it's it's interesting like some people don't really care about like production design or how a film looks and then someone is like taking the time to craft that and or they're taking classes outside of um I'm at a conservatory so it's like Uh all very like like structured in so it's it's kind of interesting to hear sometimes people in my class say like oh I'm taking a printmaking class right now and like start to kind of see it like interweave into their work so that's kind of exciting in a way or a few kids got into like I was really shocked like at least three kids in my class who were able to make films they three of them made uh, films on 16 millimeter and at least at my school like it's a very like like digital really dominates the scene like a lot of the professors are trying to make like film die or they're like always having that argument is like like film even relevant anymore I don't know if you've ever gotten to that debate (laughs) yeah I have I mean I you know of course I have we all have um and I don't ever want to tell anybody else what to do I mean again it's all different forms of storytelling you know, I do a storyboard with pencil and paper. It's a form of storytelling. And ultimately, film is about ideas, you know, ideas, whether they're visual, they're audio, they're ideas in motion. And you can use any medium. I mean, I was kind of, I was thinking a lot about it this last semester because, you know, my classes all shut down. We all went online. And suddenly in March, I had to completely revise my syllabus from scratch, you know. Mm, and yeah. everybody could only shoot by themselves and with their phones. So from going from, you know, shooting, some of them were shooting fairly high-end digital using using the Ursa, the, um, you know, the Ursa mini cameras, the Blackmagic cameras. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, some of them were using, you know, a variety of different cameras. All now, it's phone, and you're by yourself, and you have to create stuff. And you're, we're working with found footage and stuff you find online. And people did great work. I mean, I was really, really impressed how, how well they did with just whatever was to hand. You know, they had a phone, they had a computer, they had, and, and whatever. And it really, I was so happy because, you know, the technical stuff, the support, that's just the support. This camera rather than that camera, who cares? It's like, do you have a compelling idea that you want to share with us? So I think it's fundamentally a completely meaningless debate, like yeah. film versus digital. It means nothing. Um, I might. I mean, I grew up as a 16 millimeter filmmaking filmmaker, and up until maybe five years ago, I did a little teaching on 16 millimeter. And then, about then, I think it was like 2014, actually, I just canned my 16 class because it was too unwieldy, too expensive, it wasn't useful. And uh, I now teach with, we bought the Ursa cameras. Um, and I don't regret it at all. 
I still own my 15 mil. I mean, I still own a Bolex. And in my last film, which we're trying to finish now, I will tell you that uh, about five minutes is shot with my lovely Bolex. Uh, really because it's a story that takes place in the 1940s. And in the story, the main character makes a, a short film. And we see like him filming and whatever. So it seemed really appropriate to shoot with film, with a little 16 right. camera. He would have shot with a Cinecoda camera. We shot with a Bolex. Um, but the rest of my film is shot almost entirely with an Ari Alexa Mini. And I'm, I'm telling you, it is a beautiful camera. And mm. you get gorgeous images. And uh, I, I love it. You know, if, if I can afford it, I love it. It was expensive. Um, and we did that, um, you know, that share grid rental stuff where you rent from, from people? And we got a deal, and uh, it's very lovely. So I'm not <laughs> knocking digital. Yeah, I've done a lot of work with both, and I think I'm never going to throw away my 16 millimeter camera so long as they have 16 millimeter film because it's another piece of your palette. But to me, it evokes the past. It evokes history, and unless I specifically want to do that, where that part of the if that's part of the idea that I want to evoke the 20th century then I will use film if I if that's not part of the story then I see no point I mean there's such beautiful digital images these days yeah I yeah I agree and especially like what people have been able to do with um color correction there's a um, a guy who just graduated in the class of 2020 he he's just like the master of da Vinci resolve mm -hmm. yeah and even that's kind of like kind of painting digitally I guess oh like my goodness that is amazing I um I actually full con uh what's the word full disclosure my cinematographer <laughs> is my husband and, uh, we're a filmmaking team and we have been a filmmaking team for like 20 years actually since we got to know each other and uh he's a, i mean he actually has a much more professional background in film than i do um in that he worked in the business in a way that i didn't um but yeah he's uh he like in my, our last film he got into da vinci resolve and he taught himself and He's just doing like incredibly beautiful work. It's very painstaking. That's really hard. Really kind of, you're transforming things and bringing things out. And it, it can be definitely an expressive tool. And uh, so, yeah. But I think ultimately, you know, you can make it with your phone. I, It's... Uh, it's all icing on the cake unless you have the ideas that you want to, you know, express. So I don't think film has to be expensive. And uh, as I, you know, I, I always tell my students, if you're really an artist, you can work with a pencil, a notebook, and a phone. That's all you need. 
and yeah i think that's all we got because we're going to be teaching online again in the fall and um you know it has its drawbacks but it also is for me a little bit of a liberation from having to focus so much on the technical Right, yeah. Because a lot of the technical these days you can learn from just like YouTube videos and this and that. and You, you don't really need to go to school for that. I mean, there are certain things you do, um, but for a lot you don't. Yeah, I guess that's like another thing is like the debate of uh, whether to go to film school or not of like, I there's like, I feel like two kinds of people in the world where it's like people who go thinking they just want to learn for technical and like you said like if you are solely just engaged in technical like possibly you could just do that from home but I feel like the big reason people go is like a sense of community and like making new connections and yeah I, I, kind of, I, yeah, I, I totally agree and that's why I always say to my students we're here to share our work. You know, the important stuff is to have those screenings and work in progress screenings and talk with me and all the fellow students and, you know, have an audience and a critique. That's what's really important. And that's, I think, the most important thing of film school. Um, you have a team, you have a professor who hopefully is inspiring in some way and will turn you on to things that you might never have seen before it's you know you're not there to learn software you can learn software on your own you know eric just sat in his room and taught himself davinci resolve from online tutorials <laughs> like you don't need to go to film school for that uh you don't need to go to film school to learn how to use an ari lecter they it comes with a manual but to really learn to think as a cinematographer and to learn lighting and and the art of cinematography, it's incredibly helpful to at least start off in film school and it kind of gets your gets you going, but you know, you have to learn by doing. So I don't think film school right. is a waste of time, but if you're solely there to kind of learn software or whatever, forget it. That's silly. <laughs> um yeah, even this summer for me, like I, it's been the big leap of starting this uh, podcast and curation. And while I was researching your work, it, I saw you you have this project, the the Coney Island Amateur Psychoanalytic mm -hmm. Society. Mm -hmm. So like you're like, are you like the the head curator of that? And like, what was the process of like gathering all that? Oh, together? well, that's a story. Uh, don't get me started, as they say. Um, but I, <laughs> I will tell you, I guess back in 2008, um, I was kind of friendly with um, the curator at the Coney Island Museum, which isn't really a museum. It's really just a big old room with some old stuff upstairs from a barn freak show in Coney Island in the amusement park. And uh, but they'd have talks and different stuff there and. I pointed him to a little book called Freud and Coney Island, which was written by Norman Klein and was kind of an imaginative recounting of Sigmund Freud's trip to Coney Island. And which he really did go and visit Coney Island, but I mean, only like for an afternoon. Um, 
So the book kind of fantasizes about what that would be like. So I, anyway, I gave a copy of this book to the curator and, and he called me up next day and he said, it would be really great if, um, if you were interested in making an exhibition to celebrate the centenary of Freud's visit to Coney Island. That's in, that was in 2009. So I said, well, that sounds like a wonderful idea. I would love to do that. So I signed up having absolutely no idea what I would do. Um, but it just sounded like such a great idea. And I love the amusement park. And I, you know, I've always been interested in New York history. And it just seemed like the perfect project for me. So I spent the summer kind of thinking about it. And I realized I didn't want to sort of make believe like Freud's visit itself was not that interesting because it, as I say, he just spent an afternoon there. It really didn't change any of his theories or ideas. Like just to try and sort of illustrate that, um, you know, his visit to the Dreamland Amusement Park did not seem that exciting to me. And then I realized really what I was interested in is the idea of like the dreams and and it, it kind of imaginative unconscious of the people that lived and worked there. Like, wouldn't it have been great if people there had had an amateur psychoanalytic society? And while thinking, wouldn't that have been great? I thought, well, that has to be. Like, that has to, we have to do that. So, like, I decided I would... Basically, I would be both curator and kind of inventor of the society. So this became a, and it really kind of, it fitted with a lot of interests and ideas of mine um, and allowed me also to do a lot of research into the history of Coney Island. And if you read about the history of Coney Island, particularly the social history, you'll find like that area in Europe in the 19, after Freud's visit. So in the 1920s, 1930s and so on, it was really a hotbed of socialism and communism. There were a lot of Jewish people, a lot of immigrants lived there, Italians, Jews, a lot of immigrants. So, and, and I say, people were really inspired by socialism to change the world. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if, you know, this, there was an amateur society, just the way there's like an amateur society, like historical society. Why not an amateur psychoanalytic society? These were people who, who wanted to change the world through looking to thinking about their inner lives. So it was a very utopian society. And one of the first things I thought was that amateur societies, they always have activities, you know, that's what amateur societies do. Wouldn't it have been great if the Coney Island Amateur Psychoanalytic Society had activities where they recreated their dreams on film? And I was particularly interested and excited about this idea because I'd long been interested in people's home movies and in fact collected home movies for a long time. And what I was interested in very much is a kind of psychoanalytic interpretation of home movies that they, if you really look at them, they reveal more than pe about people than they realize. 
that we can sort of glimpse through the amateur home movie something about people's lives and their inner lives just the way Freud thought about dreams or slips of the tongue as revealing more than people realize. So that really got me started was the home movies. And I think you might have seen some of the home movies online. Uh, my exhibition presented what appeared to be nine award-winning dream films. <laughs> so, but they were, and they were all made from home movies from my collection. So all I did was take original home movie footage and change the intertitles. Okay. And yeah. so that was my contribution, just the way a psychoanalyst might interpret. So I made the intertitles. Um, but there were many, many other things at the exhibition. There was lots of... Uh, of course, correspondence, snapshots. The the founder of the society uh, created a model um, for a Freudian theme park called Dreamland that that would explicate Freud's theories of dreams through a series um, of like a um, pavilions in an amusement park, and it became kind of a sprawling, really big project. And, you know, it seemed really right for an amusement park. Because in an amusement park, you have no idea what's real and what isn't. Like, if you had been there at the exhibition, you would have looked out of the window and you'd have seen a sign that said, Snake Girl, 99 cents. Like, do you believe Snake Girl? So, <laughs> the same way. It's like, is the society real? Was it a fiction? I mean, it was presented there as a real historical show. But and people used to argue fiercely about it. You know, the, the manager um, at the museum said he really enjoyed it because people used to come downstairs, you know, arguing about the society and voices were raised. <laughs> and I kind of loved that. People had all kinds of ideas as to what they were seeing. Um, I loved particularly, it's funny because I actually, the, exi the exhibition was up for a year. And I used to go there occasionally, kind of because I was a janitor. I had to like change the bulbs on the projector and the slide projectors and sweep the floor and so on. So I would be there so, and I would overhear. Like spying yes. on people. I loved it <laughs> because you hear people, you know, people would like become like amateur docents and they'd be showing their friends around explaining it. And they would be like, and I saw that picture in my childhood. They hadn't because I had drawn that picture. So, you know, I kind of inserted things into people's childhood memories. So it was really um, a lot of fun. It took me several years I worked on that, actually, with one thing and another. It became two books. It became the show actually surprisingly to me traveled because I always thought of it as kind of a site specific project it was about Coney Island it was in Coney Island but then I had the opportunity to bring it to Europe and which was kind of amazing because it was a big project and it toured all over Europe for like several years and we used to me and my partner we'd go and set it up and it was that was really fun it's something that 
I don't know. It seems like um, I still get like emails occasionally. I got one in the spring from, I get them from like um, scholars, researchers. I got one from like a PhD student in Italy. Like, tell me more about the society. Can you tell me where the archive is housed and all this stuff, you know? So, uh, and then I just have to kind of explain the story gently. But they're always, like, still really interested. So, um, yeah, it's had kind of an amazing life of its own. It's kind of become a thing, which is kind of lovely, because it it should be. Uh, I'm a great believer in being kind of an inspired amateur. I mean, I think of myself as kind of an you know I'm not a professional artist I'm not shown by gallery I don't sell my work for a lot of money in a lot of ways I am just an inspired amateur yeah I feel like there's a lot of pressure in the world too just to like get people out of that mindset but there there really is a certain beauty and just the authenticity of like people like capturing footage of a camera and like it could just become lost one day but like you know like you went searching for or just how people can take found footage and they can just say so much just by like just inserting a new idea into it or even like you were saying like kind of like art or film is kind of in the eye of the beholder so you know, it's it's exciting. I think that's why I keep coming back to just like I guess that's like one of the big reasons why I make films, and I, I don't know if that's for you as well. Just mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I I think like I love. I mean, for me, like home movies are little like moments of people's lives, and I feel like. Sometimes, you know, I'm kind of an antenna I, that interprets them. And I'm, they, they uh, you know, they're little time capsules. But I, I think that's really important when you go to school. It's like not everybody I teach is going to be a professional artist or a professional filmmaker. Nor should they be, but it can still be part of your life and still important. Um. A lot of people think, well, if you don't have your $2 million to, to make your first feature, then what's the point of that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's always, like, the big discussion of when people are about to graduate film school of just, like, well, it's, like, the race to make the, the big feature. Or even some of my professors, there's this one guy who's teaching me, he was supposed to make his first feature this summer and of course that like got shut down and postponed but he was just having like this whole discussion of like well I'm like 40 now but or 30 or I can't remember what age he was but like he was like saying like I don't know if like if age really even matters when it comes down to like making like a a big investment into a, a film project like like, is there really an expiration date on, like, how old you should be putting art into the world? Or I feel like it even applies to people who are really young. Like, 
like some people are kind of like psyched out into putting their artwork out into the world when they're younger because I guess they're afraid to look back on it but I don't know if you don't do that then how are you even going to see your growth when you keep developing over the years so I don't know if you ever felt that of like um if there's like an expiration date on like being an artist or like when do I even that's a good question because I'm quite old like should I just like pack it in is there a start date an expiration date (laughs) I think everybody is different no of course not I mean some you know Ghidorah is making films in his 80s uh some people make their best films when they're teenagers um I really do. I mean, I envy people who are, I always thought it, I mean, having watched my peers, people who were very smart and knew what they wanted to do when they were in their early 20s did really well. I have to say, I kind of envy them because I was never like that. Um, It took me much, much, much longer. I did in my 20s and early 30s. I really didn't do anything very interesting. Um, because I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I think everybody's different. Some people like to have their best, as I say, their best ideas when they're very young and they don't have any more. It, it's like just people are human. They're all different. There's absolutely no rules. You have to make something because you yourself care about it, I think. Not just like, well, if it's not you know worrying too much about what other people think right and I especially feel like right now with COVID-19 a lot of people are they're getting really discouraged and like everything's hopeless and they should just put the camera down and or they just feel really lost with their creativity I think it's a Um, difficult time for sure I mean I don't I don't blame people it's impossible (laughs) time to make films I mean I'm not making any films I mean we shot this um, I guess it's like a short feature and I probably that we finished shooting in December and it's virtually oh, wow. okay. right at the cusp, yeah, right at the cusp. <laughs> I mean we shot the last part of it literally in December and I mean our whole idea is that we'd finish it by the summer we'd start sending it out to festivals about now um, and I mean, I'm thrilled, like in a way we're really lucky because we have a complete film, which is great rather than something half, sort of half finished. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm feeling lost myself. I mean, this is something I put, I certainly put more money into than anything I've ever done. And it was a lot of ways a bigger project. And it's, I guess it's a short feature. It's about an hour long, which sort of counts as a, it does technically, it is a feature film. Um, and, you know, I was expecting it to go to festivals in Europe, which is usually where I kind of start showing my work. And, I, and I'm and i just like sitting on it. And I'm, I don't want to, I don't want it just to like put all this effort and it's like in a couple of online festivals. It's like, really? That just seems like, Re- yeah, yeah, no. or even like sending it to Europe, and then we couldn't go. I couldn't go. Like, it's really good to go to a festival. It's like you meet people, you talk to people, you kind of get things out there. Um, 
I don't want to send to Aachen. I can't travel. So quite seriously, I'm just, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going to release it until like the world is in a better place. And if it takes another year of, so be it. But I don't want to throw it away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I totally respect that. I know a lot of people right now, they're they're making that decision and they know it's hard, but um, I 100% agree. I think most films, they deserve like the presence of like an audience and yeah, having that discussion. And it's, I mean, you can do that online, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's like not the same. Yeah. I didn't rent an Ari Alexa to to (laughs) put it on like Vimeo. It worked really hard. Uh, I really didn't. I mean, it's a big screen film. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait. I mean, I was supposed to spend the summer in Europe. I had a residency and all kinds of things. And, you know, I couldn't do any of that. Um, so I'm kind of, I think we just have to lie low and do small things. I mean, I wouldn't want to be filming. I, I can't film when I'm like six feet. I have to be more than six feet for my actors. Are you kidding me? It's like, no. So I'm doing drawing projects and writing projects and things that I can do from home. Yeah, like, um, yeah, you sent me a link to your, the activity pack. Oh, thing. yeah, um, that's right. Funny. That, that seems, that, that's really cute. And I, I think it's great for, because there are a lot of kids, like, um, I, for me, at mm-hmm. least the, last summer, I, I taught at an art camp. Like, I'm like a little um, counselor. Mm-hmm. So I would always like help kids doodle arts and crafts things. So I can't imagine like what it's like being a kid right now in this world and wanting to have like fun and not even being able to see friends. So I think it's really great that you're doing this and like, you know, having the hamster wheel roll in kids' heads. Yeah. Do you want to like talk about the process of like, um, like it's kind of like, what is it? You you kind of built like a space. Yeah. I was like, let's, you know. (laughs) I always think when the canvas is small, think big. So I said, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do an activity of intergalactic travel. So actually interplanetary travel. So I thought we have to, how can kids like make a space helmet with things around them? How could they make a surface of a planet? How could they photograph it with their phones? So I made a couple of planets um, on my, my tabletop, tabletop planets. Um, yeah, so I'm all for home activities. I've just collaborated with some people in St. Petersburg in Russia who are doing an art exhibit, and they invited me to take part in that. So I had to make something kind of quickly that could all be digital files that they could then, like, print out their end. So, yeah, I've actually been surprisingly busy um with kind of oddball collaborations like this but yeah i think real filmmaking is uh i mean there's reasons hollywood is not making films right now because it's really not safe and it's not possible yeah and i also just question like my school just released news bro it was actually just my only my sophomore class in the entire conservatory wasn't about to be let back. Like three other classes were like the freshmen, uh, juniors and seniors. 
And so my class had a bit of like a rile up and they were just yelling at the head chair of the department, like, let us back. And I'm, I was just kind of in this weird position where it's like, do I even really want to go back and like create art in like a really empty college and be cooped up in a, a dorm? It sounds for, like, not only horrible, but it sounds dangerous. I mean, I am oh, yeah. not yeah, unsanitary. joking. I mean, you guys are young, yeah. but I'm old, you know, and I do not want to be in a room with 17 young people all crowding around. Yeah. It's it's really dangerous. It's like you yeah, do not want to risk not only your life, the life of your but professor, uh, the, the staff, the cleaning staff. I mean, Christ, we'll all, you know, I do think this will end at some point, and in a year, I'm hoping we'll be in a better place. Let's just chill and do it online. I don't like how everyone is, um, yeah, in like business as usual when when the world is literally falling apart, on fire. I know <laughs> it's falling apart, and, I, and yeah, it's different in Europe because people have really been a lot more sensible. Yeah, and, I mean, it's frustrating for me because I can't see my mother because I can't travel and because this country is just a mess. And it's really not necessary. We have to just shut down for now. And I, I really swear you can be creative from home. I, I see no reason a college has to open except money. That's all they're thinking about. You know, because they people don't they want people to spend money, but you can do stuff from home. As I say, my students were great last semester. I was genuinely impressed, and they were super stressed. I mean, these are people, you know, in the borough of Queens, which was the epicenter of the epicenter. You know, and people had parents getting sick, and they were working, you know, at essential jobs, you know. And doing it was crazy, and they still managed to come together for an hour or two in my class and make stuff and share it. And it was it. I was like so impressed by them. Yeah, and I mean it's a big sacrifice to make, but like honestly, yeah, I think people need to hunker down and, like you were saying, like work with what you have. But um, like, don't under un, don't underestimate yourself and think it's any less than a good film. Or it's I don't I don't know. It's like also it's really just right now in a way like we're kind of creating time capsules of what this world is like right now. And I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be on the nose like COVID nineteen, but it it would be interesting just to say like I made this when the world was a little chaotic. <laughs> Uh, you know, at least I, uh, it I can will say be that. a time capsule. I mean, I swear the my students' work was overall, and the, the work was often very different. Was a true yeah. time capsule. I mean, I had people, I have to say, pouring their hearts out in their films in ways that I have never seen before. I mean, really getting to who they were and their feelings, and so on, in ways that they never would do in a more conventional, normal class. So I, I do, do not underestimate it at all. And 
I don't think hopefully you know it's not going to be forever. I <laughs> hopefully things will change. I I'm hopeful, and uh, it's just a hard time right now. Can I ask what part of the country you're in? Oh, yes, me? um, I'm from upstate New York near Ithaca, uh-huh. but I go to school in. Uh, at Purchase College ah. for the the film BFA, ah. so that's like in Westchester. Very. <laughs> so I was kind of in an epicenter as well. Yeah, the virus for a bit. Yeah. I have to tell you that a good friend of mine will be teaching a film at Purchase in the fall. She's going to be teaching screenwriting. My friend Courtney. Oh. Okay. What um what year do you know? Like what year she's teaching i genuinely uh courtney stevens you should look out for all i know is she's teaching two screenwriting classes and uh, she's actually an interesting documentary filmmaker i'm not but i guess they hired her to teach screenwriting but she's a great person and you should uh uh she's actually in la right now and we 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 uh we have little uh, video chats like every couple of weeks and uh, yeah check her out Hmm. yeah they've been hiring a lot of new faculty as of late or some people have left so it's it's been interesting to see new faces coming in but um, like also just kind of like intimidating that I'm meeting these people for the first time like on a webcam yeah (laughs) well it's kind of like what can we do (laughs) yeah you will be meeting her on a webcam I mean she's she will be in LA and you will be in New York and um but yeah that's actually been a kind of a strange I have to say it was quite strange for me I mean I've been a teacher for decades to suddenly teach on the computer just because, I mean, partly I think it's just when you're a teacher, I mean, you probably don't realize this not having taught, but when you go into a classroom, it's like, it's a performance. Like you're an actor, you have your teacher personality and you're doing a show. But when I'm sitting in my own apartment in front of my own computer, it's just like, I'm me, and like the students are singing into my studio, you know. I felt so <laughs> self-conscious in a way that I would never do in in the classroom. Uh, that is quite a strange thing. And it's going yeah, to be even stranger in the fall because I won't have, like in the spring, I already knew those students, like because we'd already had like half a semester together. Um, but this semester, I will be meeting them online for the first time. So that's going to be kind of strange. But, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Say <Yeah>. love you. <laughs> um, I think that's all I have. But if you have any, like, additional things you want to say or, like, um, wow, like, where, where you can find your work. and Oh, well, you know, I always point people to my website. So it's zoebelloff.com. It's just my name. And you can find out about quite a variety of, of things that I do. Um, and I hope 
you know, once all this is over, there will be a new film, but not till then. And <laughs> fingers crossed. And uh, wow, yeah. Uh, I've got certainly my films from the last 10 years are online. It's now I've got time in the pandemic. Once we've finished our film, I want to try and put more stuff online, but you know, it's so expensive. Like, transferring all your old 16 millimeter to like high end digital files but at some point there will be more anyway check it out um it's there it's all free stuff like that and it's been lovely to talk to you yeah thank you for joining me zoe uh, thank you so a much. real pleasure and good luck with purchase and uh if you do end up studying with uh my friend courtney do tell her i say you know that i uh, that that uh, you know me and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have a great you day. You too. Bye. That concludes the second episode of The Celluloid. I really hope you all enjoyed. If you want to check out more of Zoe's work, check out her website at zoebelloff.com. And while you're at it, you should also follow her Instagram at zoebelloff. If you really enjoy listening to these artist talks, feel free to check out The Celluloid's Instagram at The Celluloid. I share and curate additional content that go along with the people I interview, and also I share other film-related posts. So thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode.